If you have your Bibles, we are in 1 John. Uh, It's a letter, it's near the back of your Bible. Uh, If you are in Psalms, you're somewhere in the middle, keep turning to the right. If you're in Revelation, you're very close, just a few pages to the left. You'll find one of the three letters that we have by this guy named John. He also wrote another book that's uh, in the Bible uh, called The Gospel of John. And uh, at great expense and at uh, great effort, John uh, wrote these letters to the churches, probably in Ephesus, that he, that he was the overseer of, uh, to correct some things that were happening there. So John wrote these uh, letters to encourage. His main, his main goal in the entire letter um, is probably assurance, right? To assure these people that they're believing the right thing because they're in this place where they don't know who to trust. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but there are a lot of voices saying a lot of different things and they're wondering who it is that they can trust. People that used to be a part of their church, possibly people they respected, have left those churches and are now trying to convince the people still in the churches that we know a thing that you don't know. So you see this formula a whole lot in the early part of John where John is saying, hey, you're hearing people say this, but you need to know this. Hey, you're hearing people say this. You need to know this. He's telling these people that he cares about and deeply loves that they can be assured that the message that they heard from him is a firm foundation for them to build their lives on, to trust that they can have eternal life. His goal is for assurance. And so John is basically talking to them and saying, hey, I know you're hearing these things, but let me show you some evidence. Look, I want you to look at this. Here's how you can know. Um, John has said in the early parts of this letter, so we've already been through the preamble, which is like the first four verses, and he says basically, hey, the life that you're looking for, the life that everybody's looking for, that deep soul satisfaction, that uh, assurance that there's purpose and meaning, that this is not all in vain, he said that, by the way, is not just a way of living, it's not some moral code, it's a person. And I've laid my head against his shoulder. Like I've touched him. So there's this assurance that he has this relationship, that he says, I have fellowship with this Jesus. And by having fellowship with Jesus, I have fellowship with the Father too. So I've had this fellowship. And you're like, that's amazing, John. And he says, not only do I have this fellowship, not only was this fellowship with the eternal God made available to me and the guys that I knew, the, the women that I knew that traveled with him, that we knew him, not only was it made available to us, it's available to you through us telling you about it. That relationship is available to you. This life that you're looking for, he opens up that and he says, I'm writing this because I, I want my joy to be complete by you joining in this with us. And then he goes on to say, uh, in the next few verses in 1.5 through 2.2, he, he lays out his argument and he says, look, there's living in the dark and there's living in the light. Uh, and he goes through this argument um, that after he says he has fellowship, he goes through this argument about what it's like to live confidently and what the grounds are for confidence, the confidence that you have. He says this, and we know this, we assume this uh, probably, that God's merciful. So you can trust that you have life that he's promised because God's merciful. But John actually adds two more. And at the end of this last section, he says, you can have confidence and assurance that you have this life. Also, not just because of God, sorry, not just because of God's mercy, but because of his faithfulness. Like for a long time, he's promised to forgive sins. It's what he does, it's what he's gonna do. And so he's done that. So you can depend and know and have assurance because of, of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his faithfulness to the promises that he's made. And then he makes this amazing claim and says, you can have assurance because of his justice, which is crazy because the justice is the thing that I'm afraid of, right? But he says, you can have assurance because of his justice because of Jesus, 
right? So Jesus on the cross, that whole thing that we've been telling you and preaching to you about, you can know that he stands before God and says, don't punish Chris for what he's done. That would be wrong of you, God, to do that. Father, it would be wrong of you to punish Chris because I've already taken the punishment for that. So we can depend not on just his mercy and his faithfulness, but also even God's justice is grounds for assurance is what Paul is saying. You can know all of these things. And he concludes by saying in 2, 2, 1 and 2, 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, substitution for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ stood in our place. This is the argument that John has made. Now, based on what he said, that we have these gra- this ground, this legal advocate, this legal standing before God, John actually moves now into the next section of like, okay, but how does that play out in my life? Right? How does this heavenly advocate that I have arguing for me, what does that mean for me today? What does that look like? And this is what he says. I'm gonna start in verse three of chapter two. Uh, and by this we know that we have come to know him. By this we know that we know. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. Truth's not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may be sure that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away. The true light's already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. (laughs) so he's stated this amazing fact about our legal status before god the assurance that we can have and he immediately goes into this section uh talking about so this is what it's going to look like in your life this is how it's going to play out in your life that his propitiation and all of these things his substitution advocacy all these fancy things that that we have uh does it make a difference does it matter so let me let me say it this way Does it matter what you do? Like, if you are a Christian, if you profess to be a Christian, does how you live matter? Does it, how about this? Can I tell if somebody is a Christian by what they do? Can other people tell that I'm a Christian by what I do? If you grew up in a 90s youth group, like you're like really sick at your stomach right now. You're, you're, I mean, you're like, uh, like you're just ready to run down front and rededicate your life right now, the beginning of the sermon. But does it matter? Like, this is the thing that I've wrestled with, that we've, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've wrestled with over and over again. Does what I do matter? And how do I know that I know that I have this assurance? And so, John says it two different ways. He starts off and he says it positively. This is how we know that we know. 
him if we keep his commandments. Then he says it negatively, right? Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So he kind of repeats himself and does it backwards. He's introducing this new idea of knowing God, um, which is just another way of talking about the same reality uh, as being in fellowship with him, right? Uh, It's not something that I think probably us moderns, right, uh, think too much about uh, knowing God, but it's a pretty universal religious impulse to know God. Like if you go back and read like Exodus, uh, Moses has this really, Moses is pretty bold about wanting to know God. Like that's what he asks God. He's like, "Can can I see you? Like what, was it, what would it be like to see you? Like he just wants to know God. It's a pretty universal uh, uh, impulse because uh, the idea of knowing God is, is like knowing the source. Does that make sense? Um, have you ever uh, been fixated on a thing? Like consumed with a, a, a thing? Um, Let's, it could be anything. Let's use, let's use like a, a relationship. Has there ever been a relationship that you kind of uh, you longed for and you and you fixated on? Perhaps maybe a romantic relationship, um, and, and all you could think about was this person, right? And and what you're doing when you're thinking about this, what you're doing really is is a little selfish, right? Uh, but what you're doing when you're fixating on this person, what you're thinking and feeling when you can't get them out of your mind, what's going on is, if I could just know this person then everything would be okay, right? That's why everything, the volume and everything else turns down. If I could just have this person, if I could be in a relationship with this person, that would fill me up. All the inadequacies that I have, and, and when you're like in ninth grade, you're not thinking this way, right? But it's what you're doing, right? When you see that person, you're like, if I could, all my inadequacies would be overcome. All, all my longings and desires would be satisfied. I would be special because they would care about me. If I could just know them, everything would be okay. What you're saying is this person can make everything okay. This person is the source of, of me being fulfilled, filled up, everything being all right. We do that with romantic relationships. Um, but pretty, pretty much always people have thought about being attached to the gods that way. If I could have that relationship with the gods, I would know the source of life. I would have the power to live it. I would be filled up, right? And so that's what they're talking about. He's like, hey, when you know God, when you have this relationship, when you're being filled up, he t- he, the word that he uses a little bit later on is when he's in you and you're in him or he, you abide in him, right? You are living in each other's lives. Then we will be okay. This knowledge of God is a thing. And so he says, listen, here's how you, how you know that you know him, is if you keep his commandments. And what he means by do you know him, um, at, least, at least a couple things, right? What he means is at least one is, like, do you know the true God? I think sometimes we want the cheerleader God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the like the one who's just on the sidelines going, go Chris, go Chris, you can do this. Yay! If, let me know if you need any help on the thing that you're already doing. That's not the one. That's not the God described in the Bible at all. So like, do you know? Like, have you have you heard about like all the things that He's done and what He's like? Because if so, that would kind of change things for you, right? Um, imagine this. Imagine. Uh, okay, so uh, pickup game and basketball happens. You're just hanging out somewhere and pickup game happens. Like you, somebody has a basketball, there's a goal, let's play some ball. You get, or you've gathered there to do for this purpose. You bought your gym bag and all of these things. And you're about to play and you're about to pick teams and one of your good friends is the captain and then there's another captain. You don't really know him that well. And as you're about to pick teams uh, in the door uh, of the gym, all of a sudden uh, walks Michael Jordan. 
uh, and everybody gets really still and quiet. And he walks up and says, can I play? And you go, I feel like I can't say no. You're Michael Jordan, the GOAT. And so he's like, yeah, all right. So you go to pick teams, and your friend, uh, who's about to pick teams, and everybody's looking at Michael, Michael and all, all, all of a sudden your friend goes, okay, uh, first I'll pick, and he points at you. What would you do? I would be like, what, did you, did you just pick me? Have you lost your mind? Do you know who that is? Yeah, 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 I've seen the stats. I, I followed him through North Carolina, and I have the suffering. I don't think that you understand, man. I don't think you really know who that is. You wouldn't pick me. Not only that, if you, like, you've played with me before. Why would you not pick him? You, no, no I, I know. I don't think that you do know. Do you know what he's done, what he's capable of, what he can do, and you would pick me? Now we can't even be friends anymore. I question your judgment. Like, I don't even know you. If you don't know who he is, so this is the element of looking at who he is and what he's done, right? Like if you see who God is, the, what he's done, if you hear the stories and you believe them true, I mean, that's gonna change you, right? I mean, the power and the might, the, the, the creating of the world, the dying on the cross, the remaking everything new, like all that, like if you just know about it, like you have to do something with it, Right? But it's more than that. When he says, do you know him? He also means, do you have a personal relationship with him, right? I mean, playing a pickup game with Michael Jordan is one thing. Going to his house every other week for dinner is another, right? Like spending time with someone and fellowship with someone. There's different levels of knowing someone, right? There's knowing about them. There's getting their autograph. And, and then there's like going to their house, regularly there's there's you living differently because of the relationship that you have with this person right so there's knowing them in a personal way and that's what john's arguing for here the fellowship that i have is the fellowship that you can have is this personal relationship with him knowing facts is not enough Uh, having had an experience with god or what you assume was an experience of God because the lasers hit the fog machines just right and you squeeze really hard and you felt something move. Like, that's not the same thing. It's not enough to even have seen God work and then go like, yep, that's God working. Knowing him the way that John is talking about means that you're in a relationship with him. It doesn't matter if you've been on a mission trip. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary. It doesn't, mean if you're, it doesn't matter that you're a pastor. None of that matters if you don't know him. If you don't have a relationship, a personal relationship with him, none of that matters, John says, which means this, you don't have to do any of those things to know him. And doing them may or may not lead you to him. It's knowing him. Being in a type of relationship where you alter what you do because of who he is. Knowing him in a way where he says things and you respond. And knowing him in a way that you listen and he impacts and alters and affects your plans. That's what happens in relationships, right? And the result, John says, of of knowing him is that your love grows. that, That you begin to grow in what it's like. You become more like him. You grow in what it's like to to be in this relationship. When you know him, you become slowly more and more like him, you are changed and love begins to take root in your heart in a new way and spread.
Now he's going to spend a little bit of time. John does this interesting thing. If you're reading First John along with us, and, and you, man, every week you could you could fly through First John uh, while we're doing this series. You could just read it and read it. What you'll notice is he's not a very linear guy. He actually kind of circles, right? He uh, he'll say like this one thing, and then he'll say the next thing, and then he'll say this new thing. But before he says the new thing, he backs up and says the old thing in like a slightly different way. And then he kind of it's this uh, technique called uh, amplification is what they call it, an ancient rhetorical technique where he kind of like circles back and like gets a different angle as he moves on. So he's kind of spiraling as he goes, revisiting things over and over, saying them in a slightly different way so that they build in you. He's asking us to meditate on things that are worth meditating on. And so he says that this, he's going to say more and more about what it means to, to love, but this is our first introduction that, that knowing him, uh, knowing him means that we are growing in love. Now, this is, of course, not saying that you have to have perfect obedience or you don't know God. Or, or he'd be contradicting the thing that he just said of, you're all sinners, I'm a sinner, I have sin, you have sin, it's part of who we are. So that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that some level, he's also not saying that you have to be completely sinful and just like debauched to, to, to not know him at all. Uh, what he's saying is that the level that you're capable of, where you are at, you are trying to obey God. The, the question is whether or not I am trying and to some extent succeeding in keeping his commandments. Am I being changed? Am I aware of what God has said to me? What he would have me do? And then am I doing it? So there are two opposite errors that you can fall into here, right? That uh, in the Christian life. And I have spent time in both these ditches. Uh, there are two different lies that we can fall into and they're disa- with disastrous results. Uh, like what do we do with all these commandments? And what about these rules and, 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 and how do they matter? And so you begin to think about this and, and one of the errors that you can fall into is that your relationship with God is based on what you do. And the other error you can fall into is that it doesn't matter what you do at all. Right? Like you, you can fall into either of those they seemingly, if I don't choose one, I have to choose the other. And that's not what the Bible, that's not what the witness of the scripture says. So if you say, hey, uh, what I do, my earning, and this is so easy, this is a hard one, it's easy to fall back on this over and over again. What I do, or, or my relationship with God is based on what I do. Man, that doesn't work when life gets hard. Um, you can maintain that for a little while, right? You can maintain that um, just for, for a little bit. And then when life gets hard, it falls apart. Uh, when I first got married, when we first got married, Wendy and I, uh, I would stop and buy her flowers regularly, at least once a week. Uh, we would go to nice dinners and we would travel. And I thought of myself as a very good husband. And then life happens, right? Like these blessings happen, right? You have a child and, and career changes and, and the church and, and all these things that are good things, but, but they begin to fill up your time. And it turns out that I wasn't so much a good husband as just had extra time and money. 
right? Like there was margin there. So when you squeeze that margin out, it turns out I'm not a very good husband. It's the thing that I have to work out very hard. Uh, like it's not a thing that I give attention to. It was a thing that I had time for at one point and then it felt like it got squeezed out and you're like, oh, I had to refocus my, all this is all off. And I think the same is true. Like it's really easy to be a good person when everything's going your way and there's plenty of margin, right? Like you can, you can keep up that front for a little while, right? Uh, you could pretend like you've never heard of Jimi Hendrix or whatever, no cigarettes, whatever. It is that, you know, the world you grew up in says is right and wrong. And you can do that. You can maintain that. And then when things begin to fall apart, when, things, when you encounter hard things, when you encounter tragic things, that need to maintain thinking that I can maintain that right relationship by effort, it just breaks you and makes you better. Because it's not something that we can do. I can't live up to that. I can't live up to that standard. And as long as I think I can, I'm fooling myself. And so we just get dashed to pieces on the hard rock of reality that I am not capable of doing it. Uh, not that I'm not capable of keeping up. And what spills out of me when I am low and frustrated and tired and scared, that's really who I am. And a religion that demands uh, that I keep up a certain moral standard is it's just its too much for me. It's a thing that will eventually make me feel like a failure and I'll just run the other way. You know how I know that? Because I've done it over and over again when I believe that that's what I was being called to, when I believe that my relationship with God, and, and, and here's the thing, it's so insidious it can hide in our hearts. It's a thing you have to be very careful of. At the worst, one of the, probably the worst moment of my entire life, the worst moment of my entire life, I remember being delivered the, the bad news and I remember thinking, God, what else do I have to do for you? This wasn't that long ago. Like this, like this is post-seminary, like I believed all of the right things would have never said that. And the second something horrible happened, you know what jumped out of my heart? Legalism. Look at all I've done for you. My wife, on the other hand, about the same news, I overheard her say to somebody, one time they came to her and said, do you ever ask God why you? And she goes, no, why not me? She didn't go to seminary, nothing. Still seems to be able to go along and please the father. Um, so what do we do with these commandments, what are these rules? And, and so the first thing we can do is believe that uh, somehow our relationship is based on what we do. Second thing that we can do is, is just look at our lives and go, it doesn't matter what we do. You can live however you want because it's God's job to forgive you because you believe him, right? Uh, no religious experience is actually valid if it doesn't actually have moral consequence and change in your life. Like knowing him results in change. Changing your life won't help you know him but knowing him results in change. And that's an incredibly important distinction. Incredibly important, because if you try to think that I'll enter into this relationship, I'll enter into a relationship with him, and he will accept me because of what I do, you'll never make it. But if you begin to know him from wherever you are, knowing someone like that, that changes you. That's where the change actually occurs. Knowing God will change us and check us. And it's tricky, and it can be a trap. You don't have to follow Jesus very long before you find this. The devil will tell you this lie. Didn't he say he'd forgive you? Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. It's fine. He'll forgive you. He always does. Didn't he promise to forgive you? Go ahead and do it. It's a great song lyric. I think about it all the time. The devil made me do it the first time. Second time I did it on my own. 
That's a pretty, pretty good pattern in my life. Uh, you find yourself in these places, like, go ahead, do it. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. And then the second that you do it, the devil lies to you again and says, how can he forgive someone like you? And you live like this, and you do these things over and over again, and he'll lie to you, and you find yourself just driving from one ditch to the other. Because we think that what we do is central to our knowing him. It's not. It's the knowing him that matters. That will change you. So here's what it does. It changes you. Have you ever, um, here's what I mean by that. Let me give you an example. I, um, have you ever been forgiven when you didn't deserve it? Um, I mean by a person, like, like, like a human, another human. Have you ever been so uh, our, it was, again, early in our marriage, probably this transition in, in, in having extra time and money. Uh, I, was, I was upset and angry, and whatever it was that I was angry about, uh, I did this terrible thing that I know that none of you have ever done, and I directed that frustration and anger at my spouse. And so I, I'm upset, and I'm, I'm frustrated, and I'm just in a terrible mood, and I'm being awful, just awful. And Wendy says to me, she begins to tear up and she says, I don't know what I've done to make you so mad, but if you'll tell me, I'll apologize. I don't know what I did. If I did something, tell me, and I promise I won't. Let me apologize, just tell me. And guys, you have to know, I flew into a rage. Because that's the worst feeling in the world to be forgiven when you're being a jerk. What you want is that person to come back at you so you can just just dig in harder. See, I knew you deserved to be yelled at, right? You just want to be able to dig in. It's the worst feeling in the world to be forgiven when you don't deserve it. Oh, I hate it. If you have, if you have children this way, right? Children break your heart, right? They come to you, the little kids, and you're just like, you accidentally hurt them, wound them, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. I shouldn't have done that. And they'll just give you a big old hug and say, it's okay. I love you. And it just melts your little heart. Don't worry, they grow out of it. They become like us. It's just the worst feeling in the world to be forgiven when you don't deserve it because you're in this moment and you have two choices. You can press into the selfishness and the anger. You can press into the dark. But if you want to step into the light of that relationship, you have to humble yourself and admit that you are terrible. You have to humble yourself and admit, I wasn't even angry at you. There's fears and insecurities in me that are leading me to behave this way and it has absolutely nothing to do with you and you have to be humble and then where does my leverage in the relationship go? It feels awful because it makes us small to lean into it. And the thing is, we'd be so much better off in our relationship with God if we just went, yeah, I'm nothing and I need you every second of the day. But we want some kind of leverage. We want something to hold on to. And he's like, you don't need leverage. You need to know me. And when we see that love, when we experience that kind of love, when we, we dig in and look at what he's done and who he is and what he's like, we begin to grow in that relationship and we see that we're forgiven even when we don't deserve it, it'll break your heart and it will change you. You cannot know him better by what you do. It will not bring you in a relationship with him. But being in a relationship with him, it'll change what you do. To varying degrees, and it will look like steps forward and steps back, but it will change you. There's no way that it couldn't. It's too powerful. So here's how you do this. Look, let's look at Psalm 23. Let's do a practical deal. Practical deal. Practical stuff. Here we go. Psalm 23. First line. 
Here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we, we pour in and lean in if you don't know how to do this. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What a beautiful line. I love this psalm so much. I know I'm supposed to like, like the weird ones you've never read before, but just, I can't help it. I know this is a popular one. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's perfect. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What if you got up in the morning? Tomorrow morning, you got up and you took this one line, this line that God inspired David to write, David writing, and you took David's prayer that he's written down and you made it your own prayer. And you said in the morning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you found something that you could just be in awe of God over. What if I just rolled that around in my brain in the morning and said, you're my shepherd. That's amazing that you even pay attention to me. You are my shepherd. How amazing that you know me. You're my shepherd. You care for me. How unbelievable that you are a God that would condescend to hear me, to listen to me. Not just to listen to me, but to direct my path. You know me well enough to know my tendencies. How amazing must your love be? And I just dwelled on that for a second. And then I found something that I could confess. Hey, the reality is though, God, but yesterday... And I got a bad feeling about today. I'm going to try to be my own shepherd. I know that I've ended up in the ditch every time I've tried this, but I have a feeling I'm going to try it again today. And we begin to confess, God, you are my shepherd, but I want to be my own shepherd. Yesterday, I know that you had all these things for me, and I know that you wanted me to sit in quiet with you, but I didn't. So I confess to you my tendency to want to control everything, to think that I can manage me and the people around me, but you're my shepherd. Forgive me for trying to be shepherd. And then I can find him something that I can thank him for. Hey, God, you know what? You've given me a place of worship. You've given me friends that, 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 that show me you in a new way, that, that encourage me and push me, that you, that you are guiding me through these people that you've placed in my life, that you've given me this word. Thank you so much. And then I find something that I can ask him for. Just this one line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, inside me there's a deep desire. I'm unsettled. Let me find that in you. Father, give this to me. What did that take? I'm a preacher, so I have a really bad sense of time when I'm on stage. What's like, 120 seconds? Two minutes? Go to the second line. Go to the third line. If you get all the way through the 23rd Psalm and you're still in prayer, use the Lord's Prayer. Use the Apostles' Creed. What can I adore him for? What can I confess to him? What can I thank him for? What can I ask him for? And in this, we will grow in relationship. He will meet us because what we're doing when we do that, as we meditate on his word, we're responding to what he's already said to us. Through David, he said, I'm, I'm your shepherd and I'll care for you. And you get to these verses like, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why would you be with me in the valley of the shadow of death? And you begin to adore him by a God, for a God who would stick by you in the valley of the shadow of death. And that his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Can I confess? Yeah, I confess that I do not like your rod and staff. They tend to direct me and, 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 and discipline me. And I, and I do not like your discipline and I mistake your discipline for, in my own brokenness, for, for, for your anger against me, but it's truly your guiding love and, and, and help me see that. And you get to pray these things. And what happens is you begin to know who God is. You begin to know him as you respond to what he said to us, and it changes you. 
I mean, imagine if you just took that three minutes that I just did, you did it, you gave your own voice to it, you did your own thing, and you just did that every morning this week. Here's what I suspect. Your days would go a little bit different. You'd still get impatient, you'd still feel lonely, whatever it is that's besetting you, it would still happen, but all of a sudden, I believe you do this, a voice, the Holy Spirit, would rise up and check you. But I'm with you. But I'm guiding you. You don't need to fear. It would still happen, but over time, as we grow in that relationship, as we realize the the greatness of God and my broken sinfulness need, I will be changed. This relationship produces love. That's what he says at the end of this. I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. Old commandment is that the word is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. The idea of love was not a new one. In Jesus, it's, it's deepened and it's, it's enriched. Enriched? It's not a word. It's deepened and it grows richer. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop there. I just realized that my next point is probably a whole other sermon, so I don't want to inflict that on you right now. So I want to stop there. Let me, let me just jump to the conclusion. Here's the conclusion. How do I know that I know? I had a professor in seminary that said, um, he told this story. He said, this is a woman in this church that he pastored. And he said she would come to him every single week just in, just in, just in anguish over whether or not she was a believer. I've sinned again. I don't know. How do I know that I know that I know? And he said to her, he says, look, Miss Kate, I, I, I don't have a scanner. I, I can't scan you until you're saved. But man, if you're not a Christian, you've got a weird way of showing it. I mean, you get up in the mornings and you pray and you read your Bible. You care about the saints. You love your neighbor well. I mean, you might not be a Christian, I guess. But if so, you've got a weird way of showing it. I love that. This is how we know that we know. This is a test, but it's a test that we can use, but it's not a single data point. Right? You can't go off a single data point. I mean, you're going to have bad days. Right? Have you ever had? Have you ever gotten in a fight with someone? Somebody like real Christian of you? Probably that probably only happens to me. Uh, but like you get in an argument, and somebody's like real Christian of you, and I, you're right. I shouldn't have said that about your mom. I apologize. Right? I'm having a bad day. I'm tired. I mean, you're going to have those moments, right? You're going to have those moments where you are not who you should be. It's not a single data point. Just because I messed up, does that mean my relationship with God is broken? No, of course not. But what happens next is the key. Right? Do you see that as sin? Do you recognize that fear and that doubt and that unbelief? Do you realize, do you not just ignore it, but do you accept, you know what, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. That's who I am. And then I go and I confess and I repent? Or do you make excuses and ignore and pretend like it didn't happen? Am I open to being corrected for my unbelief? See, God doesn't say, hey, next time you're having a bad day, even if you're attacked, even if you're sleepy, even if it's hard, even if you work with nothing but incompetent idiots, try harder not to publicly make fun of your coworker's mom. He doesn't say that. That's what I hear, right? Just, oh, next time I'm, I'm not going to do it next time. What he says is, come to me and I will help you with your unbelief. 
Because what happened in that moment was you believed that your work made you you and that you were failing at it and all these people that weren't doing their job, it's their fault and you got frustrated and angry because somewhere in deep inside of you, you believe that my love is dependent on whether or not you perform and it doesn't. I love you because it's who I am. So do we go to him and say, here is my unbelief or do we just turn around and try harder? We go to him and say, I am a sinner, sinner, and my unbelief is my chief sin. I do not believe that I'm forgiven. I do not believe that you love me just because of who you are. I do not believe any of these things. I'm going to go out and try to earn it. Do we go to him and offer him our unbelief and confess it so that he can change us? Do we take it to heart? Do we spend time? Listen, your life has a trajectory. You are becoming something. You are becoming, what you're coming is based on who you know, who you're in fellowship with, the world or God. Your life has that trajectory. And these things can, can be warnings to us. They can be helps to us to go like, why am I being this way? Why is my relationship with, with God broken? Or are there things that I'm not believing? Am I, am I, am I not knowing, do, am I not investing in knowing him like I should? How have I ended up here? And the good news is that when we confess and repent, that relationship is renewed and restored. This is a beautiful, beautiful gift. This is a beautiful and beautiful gift because God will go to these things and we'll come to him in frustration and say, look at this things and look at this and look at that, look at this. And then how am I supposed to hold this all together and be a good person? What's wrong with me? And we feel like we're trying to hold everything together when God wants us to come to him and say, lay all that down. You need to stop with all of that. You need to rest and trust that who you are is what I've said about you. We gotta set down all the stuff that we don't need, all the stuff that we think that we need to do to achieve and trust. Belief is often our primary sin. The good news is when we confess that, <laughs> when we go to Him and acknowledge, I am this way because I just do not believe, and I begin to grow in that relationship, He shapes us and molds us. Yes, there's setbacks. No, this is not a test based on a single data point. But your life does have a trajectory. So to answer the question from the beginning, does it matter what you do? Your relationship with God's not based on that. You enter into relationship with God based on what he has done alone. As a matter of fact, the problem that we have is we want to bring too many stuff with us. Except me, look at all this stuff I brought. And he's like, you can't come with all that. You have to come by yourself. Well, yeah, but without all this stuff, I'm a terrible human being. Yep, that's how you have to come, knowing that. Your relationship with God is not based on what you do. But your relationship with God, because he's so great and amazing, and because that relationship is so intimate and deep, it will change what you do. And you must not get those things out of order. It's the beauty of the gospel. It goes all the way back to Exodus. You go read the Exodus story. One of the amazing things is, the, uh, is you read the Exodus stories. You begin to you read about the people that God is saving, his people that he's going to take out of Egypt and rescue and take the promised land. And one of the things you, you occurs to you really fast is these people do not deserve to be saved. <laughs> these people do not deserve to be rescued. Why is God doing this? And he rescues them and says, now follow me. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll rescue you. He rescues you and says, now follow me. This is the gift of the gospel. This is the beauty. It doesn't matter where you are. You come to him and he begins to shape the trajectory of your life as we grow in our trust and knowledge of him. That is the beauty. Don't fall into either ditch. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Forgive me, forgive me for spending so much time 
so much time in the ditches. I just spent so many hours believing that what I've done is enough to earn when I know that it's not true. I spent so many hours thinking that maybe I need to do something else, and maybe if I did this, or maybe if I just lived this, or if I could just do this. And what you desire is my heart. You desire my heart and my affection. So Holy Spirit, as we, as we <laughs> change us, as we, as we begin to just become enamored with this God who loves us, this God who is love and is changing this world to be a place of love, God, may we be agents in that. What we do matters when we're in relationship with you. So give us eyes to see. Let us hear you speak clearly to us. Help us grow in our trust. (laughs) So that we can be filled up, no matter what comes, deeply satisfied, tied into the very source of life. May we lay our deadly doing down and trust and rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.